My great-grandmother was born in 1890, and she just missed living in three different centuries, dying in 1997. Uh, this means I got to know her fairly well. I was 26 when she died, and I have fond childhood memories of walking a few blocks south from my grandparents' house along the Wisconsin River to visit her. She always asked about school. She was very interested in our education. What did we like? What subjects were we interested in? Occasionally, she would tell us stories from her childhood. And from my perspective now, I really wish I had asked her more about what it was like to grow up at the turn of the 20th century in the marshy areas of central Wisconsin. One of her most told stories involved her being lost in a snowstorm but the horses knowing the way home without having to be told or led. And when she was a child, there was no church where her family lived. As the story goes, the German settlers there, the Catholics, wanted a church very badly. But in those days, communication with the bishop was not easy. And so uh, they went ahead and built the church without asking his permission and then sent a note to him saying, well, we've got the church built, will you come and consecrate it? And the bishop wasn't so pleased that this project had gone forward without his knowledge. And as he rode the train into town, he was rehearsing the rebuke that he would give these impertinent townsfolk. But then he stepped off the train, and there, on a bunch of wooden planks over the marshy ground, there were all the townspeople dressed up in their first communion dresses and their suits, playing German folk music, singing to Christ present in the bishop with joy and respect. And he warmed to them and he, forsake, he forsook his rebuke. And instead he went with them to the church and consecrated it after all. Not only was there a lack of a church building in those days, there were also very few priests in that area of the United States. This means, again, that my great-grandmother as a child only got to Mass several times a year. And one imagines that Easter Masses themselves were actually rare occurrences in those days. And among the many questions I wish I had thought to ask her is, how did you celebrate Easter when you couldn't go to Mass? must have called for creativity among the faithful, as did their sly plan for getting their church in the first place. Over the past week, I've been in contact with many Catholics and other Christians, and I've seen all kinds of creative responses to our stay-at-home orders. And this has gotten me thinking about the many odd ways that Christians have had to observe Easter throughout the church's history. Someone our community knows well is a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp, and he tells the story of the Christian prisoners quietly saying to one another, Christ is risen, and responding, He is risen indeed, to remind each other that despite all appearances, it was Easter Sunday after all, and Christ was risen whether or not uh, I'm in a concentration camp or somewhere else. One of the strangest stories that's familiar to the brothers in the community is that of our Holy Father, St. Benedict. When he was still a very young man, he secluded himself in a cave in a mountainous region of 
East Italy, 50 miles uh, far away from Rome, as biographer St. Gregory the Great tells us that on Easter Sunday one year, a nearby priest was sitting down to a sumptuous dinner. No doubt he was tired out from his liturgical activities that day when our Lord paid him a visit in a vision. And Jesus told him, Why don't you bring some of that food of yours to my servant Benedict, who's hungry? And uh, our Lord did not tell the priest where Benedict was, and so he had to wander around, climbing around the mountains, trying to find this hermit. But he found him, and uh, when he greeted him, he said, Come, let us eat, for today is Easter. And Benedict didn't know that it was Easter. He thought he was using a figure of speech, and so he said, I know that it is Easter because you have graced me with your presence. So St. Benedict, like the townsfolk, seeing Christ present in the bishop and celebrating his arrival, Benedict sees in this priest Christ risen, paying him a visit, feeding him. Uh, He has achieved a kind of mystical vision where he sees Christ present in this guest. And uh, I wouldn't recommend Benedict as a pattern for our regular life any more than I would recommend uh, staying at home on Easter Sunday without orders from the bishop or governor. But it's another indication that our faith in the resurrection, the joy that is ours in this faith, remains in us no matter what. And it can grow stronger precisely when we encounter obstacles. However, I haven't reached the strangest Easter of them all, the very first one. The apostles were practicing their own stay-at-home strategy, fearfully hiding. The women of the group dared to go out to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, but it's not there. The result is a mixture of confusion, fear, sadness, indignation, some glimmers of belief here and there, hopefulness. It's quite remarkable that the gospel of Easter Sunday is one of the few in the church's liturgical year in which Jesus makes no bodily appearance whatsoever. And even after Jesus appears to his disciples, they continue to experience fear, doubt, disbelief, confusion. It's not really until Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit that the full meaning and effect of the resurrection is really felt. According to tradition, the first 40 days after Easter were a time when Jesus continued to visit his disciples and to teach them the mysteries of the faith, the things hidden from our human sight that we, we learn to see with the eyes of faith. And these mysteries of the faith were only fully inaugurated in the church's liturgical life that begins with the ascension of Jesus to the Father's right hand and the sending forth of the Holy Spirit and his gifts of understanding and wisdom. And perhaps we are all being called this year to stay in that upper room with the apostles and with Mary, listening to the teachings of the risen Lord, pondering them in our hearts, to stay in the city, waiting to receive the power of God from on high, to renew our hearts with saving doctrine. And then, out of this experience of deprivation, out of this experience of meditation, of stillness and pondering, we can implore God the Father 
to set our hearts ablaze with the fire of the Holy Spirit's love. Uh, Perhaps we will be ready to go back to church by Ascension and Pentecost this year. What a beautiful thing that will be. But in the meantime, the risen Christ is among us, and we can learn to recognize him as the town people recognized him in the visiting bishop, as Benedict recognized him in his benefactor coming to bring him food. And any of our benefactors, any of our guests, any of those who are out there serving the sick, serving the needy, putting their lives at risk to help others. And perhaps this year, this can be an Easter celebration that breaks out from this single day, from which we largely return to life as normal in other years, but instead, this will train us to see the risen Christ in all of his creatures and will truly go forth and proclaim our faith to others. Our creative celebration of the resurrection can become a habit of mind and a habit of action in which our faith becomes more and more alive in all that we do, in all that we say, taking every thought captive for Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.